Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. And I'm Thierry. This week, we're talking to a very special guest, the one and only Jean-Claude Juncker. It was an incredible honour to speak to Luxembourg's former Prime Minister, knowing that he's got an extremely discreet public profile. On our recent trip to Luxembourg, we had an opportunity to meet Mr Juncker at his office in Luxembourg City. As it had been a long time since we had an in-person recording in Luxembourg, and given that our equipment was a bit rusty, our microphones were so impressed by Mr Juncker that the first 20 minutes of the recording didn't get properly captured. Luckily enough, we did get a large chunk of this fascinating conversation on tape. Indeed, it felt very bizarre to sit down again with a guest in person after 15 months of remote recording. But what a great way to break the cycle and looking forward to more in-person conversations. As we didn't capture the beginning of the recording, we thought of giving our listeners a brief rundown on how we perceived the first minutes of this absorbing chat. For most of us, especially Luxembourgers, Jean-Claude Juncker doesn't need an introduction. As an anecdote, we did ask him how we should address him, and he said we could also address him as Mr. President, this referring back to his days as the President of the European Commission. Mr. Juncker is known for being a fierce European Union advocate. Before taking on the President of the European Commission role, Jean-Claude Juncker was a prominent figure in Luxembourg politics for more than three decades out of which he spent 18 years as the Prime Minister of Luxembourg. This is the longest uninterrupted premiership tenure in a democratic country. As a reminder, Mr Juncker trained as a lawyer before kicking off his career in politics. When asked why he didn't go for a legal career, he would respond with a humoristic touch that he did much more legal paperwork whilst being in the government compared to law firms. We were eager to talk to Mr Juncker to ask him about his views on the future of Luxembourg. Things were very different back in the days when he started out as a politician. We were curious to understand how the country and the financial centre should adapt in order to preserve its multiculturalism and prosperity whilst growing at a sustained pace. He preferred not to comment on what current and future Luxembourg governments should do as he was no longer involved in local politics. However, He did insist that Luxembourg was not solely a global financial place, but also a growing ecosystem with important players such as SES. Listeners will remember that CEO Steve Collar has appeared twice on the show. Our conversation then moved towards the role of Luxembourg in the context of shaping the future of the European Union. He still spends a bit of time in Brussels, where he regularly meets with his successor, Ursula von der Leyen. He also mentioned... Now he was writing a book on the last five years in Brussels, which we are eagerly looking forward to. The second part of the recording, which you will hear in a few moments, touched on the consequences that Brexit has caused and the important role of the EU when it comes to tackling climate change. And now please enjoy our very tiny conversation with Jean-Claude Juncker, former president of the European Commission. I want to move back to a, a question, you know, going back to Luxembourg as accepting the European Union or, or embracing it, as you were saying. For quite some time now, the, the freedom of movement has been, has been in place and has, um, of course, brought a lot, a, lot of, uh, a lot of demographic changes. And, and today, I think the, 
there's been a lot of uh, economic prosperity as we've known it and also um, some external collateral damages, call it that way. Um, for instance, like with the, the, the price of, of, of housing and so forth. If, if Luxembourg would say that if, if there's too much, um, if the, the, flow, the flow of demo demographics change and, and cause those, those um, prices to, to move in, in tandem, what, what, would be, uh, what would be for you, for instance, a, a good way to, to address that? Uh, I, I'm not in a position to give, uh, uh, to, to lecture uh, my British uh, colleagues. They are adult enough in order to know what they are doing, although uh, the general public in Britain now is discovering all the disadvantages of uh, the Brexit, which are numerous. And uh, we, not, we did not yet witness all the disadvantages which uh, are resulting from uh, the Brexit uh, uh, move. Britain was taken against the historic movement of uh, uh, the world and of uh, uh, Europe in uh, particular. I never understood this British uh, immigration uh, debate, never. Because when I was young, I was admiring Britain for the openness of this uh, uh, country. This has suddenly disappeared. When the countries, the new democracy in uh, Central and Eastern Europe were joining the European Union, Britain did not even use the transitional provision which the treaty was putting into place when it comes to the freedom of movement. Blair didn't want to have this. And that was uh, a mistake, uh, because this would have uh, allowed Britain to organize in a better, more harmonious way the immigration of uh, uh, European workforce uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to Britain. When we were negotiating before the Brexit with uh, David Cameron, a, an arrangement, a fair deal, as I called it, with uh, Britain, we were putting together all kinds of elements which would have allowed Britain to say yes. But unfortunately, and by surprise, it happened that all these elements, it costed me days and nights with David Cameron and with Theresa May, and with others, these uh, arrangements were never mentioned because there was no real debate uh, about Brexit, apart that uh, some of uh, the British leaders were lying, openly lying. David Cameron asked me not to come to Britain during the referendum campaign because the Commission would not be very popular in Britain, which is clearly uh, the case. So there was no one, apart kind of Clark, who was able to say, to tell the British the truth. And uh, now uh, the UK is discovering that the fact to close to a large extent the borders for uh, workers coming from other parts of Europe is leading to major uh, difficulties. And uh, uh, we have, by the end of the day, concluded with Theresa May and then in November 19 with uh, Boris Johnson, a deal which Britain is not fully respecting and is expecting the European Union to give in. This will never happen. This will never happen. So where Britain finds itself uh, at the moment, um, how do you see Luxembourg uh, benefiting from a large extent, obviously, the financial sector? Um, what, what can Luxembourg do better now to prosper even more? What? Um, 
that's of uh, minor interest uh, to me. Brexit is Brexit. It's a lose-lose game. It's not a win-win game. Everyone is losing in this uh, uh, conflict between Britain and uh, and European Union. I was never in favour of having Luxembourg or the Dutch or others benefiting from from the Brexit, but. Uh, uh, of course, nobody can forbid us to to uh, uh, to take the low-hanging fruits if uh, the, these these are the result from from Brexit. And there are low-hanging fruits, and we are uh, catching them. Not only Luxembourg, but the Dutch, Frankfurt, Paris, mainly Amsterdam. Luxembourg is one of the great benefiters from benefiters from. Brexit, as far as financial services are concerned, because there is a kind of uh, uh, war between the financial services industries of Britain and the rest of the European uh, Union. But we should not give the impression that we uh, uh, would like to benefit in a shameful way from uh, from Brexit. That's not the way I would like. Uh, the uh, relations between Britain and uh, the European Union develop. Uh, moving towards a, a topic that's very close to our hearts and, and of course is an, uh, um, a topic that's, that's one of the concerns of, of, of a generation is the, the effects of uh, climate change and, and of course the role of the European Union. Now you, when you were president of the European Commission, you were at the uh, origin of a very ambitious plan uh, that, also, uh, that is bearing your name uh, as it were, and and then when you left the, the, after the, that, the Commission initiated the, what they call the European Green Deal, yeah. uh, which is uh, of course also something very very important. So um, I know I know you've, you were involved in all those affairs even during during your presidency, but now now that we, under the current president of the of the EU or the European Commission, um, now we're facing all those those, those climate change effects. So if, in your opinion, just to, to go back to my actual question. Um, how do you feel, what should be the, the, the EU's role as, in, as a global leader in terms of tackling this, this particular problem? I'm never commending uh, the performances of my successors, nor of my predecessors, for the, for the simple reason that I had always predecessor and I will always have a successor. And I wouldn't like my successors to comment on what I was doing in, in Brussels, and so I'm abstaining from... Uh, uh, given uh, unfriendly commands on what uh, uh, Madame uh, van der Leyen is doing in Brussels. But I think that the Green Deal is of paramount importance because when it comes to climate neutrality, which is one of the major objectives of the European Union, the European Union has to play a leading role in the world. We have uh, uh, to um, discuss in detail politics which have to be uh, put into place with the Americans, with uh, the Chinese, with the Russians to some extent, and that's what the Commission is uh, is doing. But climate neutrality is uh, a very important undertaking because uh, if Europe is not uh, uh, showing a good example, nobody else will do whatever has to be done. Although it has to be said that the European Union is at the origin of only 8% of uh, the uh, reasons which uh, have made the climate change uh, possible. But nevertheless, we are there to give the example, and we have to, to lead by example. We're only a few months away from COP26, uh, 
What are you looking forward to, to the results and the discussions that are happening in, in Scotland? I, I have the impression that this, uh, COP, uh, this Scottish COP is not uh, prepared in the best way uh, possible because there are too many reluctances around the world to take uh, these steps which are clearly uh, needed. I hope that the leaders, not only Europeans but uh, mainly others, uh, they uh, will listen to uh, scientific advice which is uh, provided to them. That's not what they are doing for the time being. So for the past 25 COP summits uh, and, and when you were uh, president of the Commission, what, what was usually, what, what, what happened after the COP was finished and, you know, internal discussions, implementations, what, what can the, the, the general public think of what's happening at the European Union I level? don't know what the general public thinks, but I know that the Commission, my and the now uh, Commission, we were delivering because all the uh, duties we have taken on our shoulders were dealt with in a very careful, future-oriented uh, way. So I think that uh, the European Union already now is leading by example. Climate change also can be seen as uh, as something that will lead to some of some form of peace. You know, because if if you're not tackling this, then it might cause like you know upheaval worldwide. And as you, the European Union is a peace project, how what what do you think would be the the, the major um, kind of pillars that? Uh, the Europeans could, could do to preserve kind of global peace because you, obviously you will need the US, China. I, I, I think that uh, climate policy is peace policy with other means and with other instruments. And uh, that's uh, the direction in which the European Union is, uh, is uh, uh, developing. And uh, we have to convince our partners worldwide that they have to do their part of uh, the job, mainly our American friends, the Chinese, to a large extent, because the Chinese are guilty for the major part of the unacceptable climate change. So it's also about diplomacy, diplomacy developing good relations with other players, uh, those I mentioned and others. I also had an, an, uh, another question, because it's, it's more like you know, e economics and, and, and so forth. You know, the, the, the actual efforts to, to actually decarbonize the whole world, the amount of investments that you would need to actually get, get to them, some say it will, it will lead to a lot of inflation, which could actually potentially revert those efforts because the, the public would feel it very, very quickly. So from a, from a political standpoint, how would you, how would you maybe it's, it's a bit of, an, of a complex question, but how would you approach that? How would you kind of uh, mitigate this kind of risk? The risk of you know people feeling inflation so much that you know the benefits of, of you know investing in in, uh, in um, copper all these uh, all these very important things that you, that you need to in, uh, to upgrade in infrastructure. What do you mean by inflation? Price inflation, sorry, price inflation. Also normal inflation. Yes. Normal inflation yeah. or no inflation yeah. in the economic sense of the yes. word is not a real problem, not a threat. I do think that the increase of inflation we have witnessed is due to temporary uh, elements. Uh, when I started my political life in government, we had in Luxembourg and in Europe an inflation rate of 13%. We are far away uh, from that because inflation was, uh, was brought down in all the European countries and beyond European countries due to the um, monetary policy which was uh, put into place by the Fed and by uh, 
the uh, European Central, Central Bank, the Bank of England playing a less important role in this global uh, uh, context. I, I, I do think that the fight against inflation remains uh, important and we should not uh, present the fight against inflation or anti-inflationary general politics and the climate change related uh, problems. There is no contradiction between uh, the two. There is no contradiction between social and economic progress and budgetary discipline. There is no uh, correlation, no intimate correlation between what is happening in the price sector and uh, climate change induced uh, policies. These are uh, invented contradictions and not uh, real contradictions. Before we are uh, closing up uh, our insightful conversation, for many years on the political uh, stage, or decades on the, on the political stage, what would your advice be to youngsters who want to choose politics as their career path? Use your imagination. Don't lose patience, because the great ambitions, they need time, as to need all the great, great ambitions and the long distances. I think that the European youth would be best advised to involve personally and on an organized form in European uh, affairs. Let's not leave it to politicians to organize the European future because those who are in charge now, they will have disappeared uh, uh, when the youngsters of today uh, will run uh, our society. So we need um, in our daily doings, the imagination of the youngsters. For, for yourself, what would the future hold for, for Mr. Juncker? We know you, you're writing a book at the moment. I'm trying to do so because it's more difficult than I initially thought. But I'm, I'm, I'm uh, giving interviews. I'm, uh, I have uh, video and Zoom conference uh, all day. And I'm trying to put together some elements which, according to my view, could be interesting for others to know. So I'm focusing on the five years I spent in Brussels, leaving aside my time in Luxembourg. Would that be for a second book then? It depends on the passing away of some important figures in the domestic policy of Luxembourg. And no intention of coming back domestically? No, 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 no. I'm uh, definitely... Uh, convinced that I have given all my milk. And I think for that the country is very thankful yeah. for all the things you've done. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mr. Juncker, on that very positive note, thank you very much for taking yeah. the time out of okay. your busy schedule. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time. Mm-hmm.